If you haven't already, it might help to go back and listen to the six episodes leading up to this bonus episode, starting with Ben Moon launches into orbit. And that'll get you up to speed on what we'll be talking about here. On the 14th of June, 1990, when Ben Moon sat beneath the Whore of Babylon project and laced up his prototype Boreal sprints, the hardest grade in the world was 8C, or 514B. Wolfgang Gulich had first established that grade in 1987 with Wall Street and the Frankenjura. And in 1988, Fred Nicole had added an 8C of his own, and Ben Moon himself had recently done a pair of them in France. And just a few months earlier, the UK had gotten its first, Liquid Amber, at the hands of Jerry Moffat. But Ben knew this project was harder, so when he clipped the chains and lowered back to the base of Raventor, he had a decision to make. And his decision was to make a statement. Hubble, 8C+, 14C, the first in the world. A little over a year later, in September of 91, Wolfgang Gulich stood beneath the intimidating limestone bulge in the Waldkopf in the Frankenjura. He'd been trying it on and off while training specifically for the route on a device he'd invented just for that, the campus board. And when he stuck the finishing lunge and mantled onto the mossy pedestal on top of the new route, Action Direct, he too faced that same decision. What many of us think is that he gave Action Direct 9A, making it the first in the world, harder than Hubble, the only 8C plus in the world at the time. End of discussion. But that's not really what happened. Wolfgang didn't give his route 9A. In reality, neither route was originally given the grade of 9A or 14D, and soon after, Ben Moon himself would argue vehemently that his route was not 9A. Yet today, the two routes are hotly debated as contenders for the world's first. In this bonus episode, we're going to examine the circumstances, discuss where the debate began, and hear from the only two people in the world who have climbed both routes, Alex Magos and Buster Martin, to try and decide once and for all which route was really the world's first 9A. I'm Chris Hampton. You're listening to a bonus episode of Written in Stone, climbing's most important ascents. This is season one, the 1990s. One, two. So it went like this. Ben believed his new route, Hubble, was harder than anything he'd climbed. And so he gave it the next grade up, AC+. And Wolfgang actually did the same. His 1987 test piece, Wall Street, had actually been given 11 minus. That's on the UIAA scale. And through translation, 
it became the first 8C or 14B in the world. So when he finished Action Direct, he didn't skip over a grade to make it harder than Hubble. He did, in fact, give it the next logical grade up, 11. And here's where it gets weird, because when we translate that, Action Direct is suddenly assigned a slash grade, 8C plus slash 9A or 14C slash 14D. But for Wolfgang, it was just the next grade, the next logical level. And this makes sense. Jumping past grades is a strange thing to claim, since we don't know the boundaries of a grade that hasn't been established. We only vaguely understand the boundaries of established grades. Has it happened that someone was so far ahead of the world that they leapt over an entire grade? Sure. Is it commonplace? No. In Andrew McFarlane's film of Buster Martin doing Hubble, titled, quite as the Brits would say cheekily, Hubble, the world's first 9A, Ben Moon said this. AC was around about sort of the maximum level that had been climbed in 1990 when I did Hubble. So to sort of jump two grades and give it 9A would have been a bit, well, a little bit arrogant maybe. Um, so, yeah, it seemed obvious to give it AC+. Plus. I mean, it seemed a pretty big deal to give it AC+, plus, to be honest, because there weren't any AC pluses around. And besides, giving a grade is already challenging enough. The climb was harder, sure, but how much harder? How much of the equation comes down to style? And did you find the best beta? And what if a better pair of shoes or a knee bar makes it a little easier? You only have your own experience to rely on. And at the time, when there were only a handful of established 14Bs, well, it was impossible to know where 14C began, not to mention where it blended into the next grade. And when I recently spoke with Adam Ondra, who you'll hear from later this season, he had this to say. In general, when making first ascents, I would say it's better to rather be careful. And maybe when you are not really sure whether it's a lower grade or higher grade, maybe it's better to go for the lower grade because the danger of maybe not finding the best possible beta is quite high, especially today with maybe different tactics, different gear like knee pads. Uh, it's even though you're a really good knee pad, knee bar climber, it's pretty easy to miss. Uh, some knee scum, something that doesn't really help so much, but might really uh, just lower down the intensity of the whole route. So I think because of that, I tend to be rather careful when proposing a grade. So the grades given to Hubble and Action Direct actually make perfect sense. And over time, as the routes see more repeats, they'll inevitably settle out to something more accurate, sort of, if we believe that unbiased consensus can ever actually be reached, which, because of all the forces pushing and pulling our opinions, I'm not really convinced of. And I think it's worth mentioning here that while the grades of these roots are in question, and they're sort of positioned against each other, the two humans involved have never had anything but respect for each other and each other's accomplishments. 
They had met when Ben was quite young, living on the dole, and was just about to break through. Wolfgang, already a legend, noticing the condition of the rope Ben was climbing on, gave him a newer rope of his own. And when Ben would later write his scathing argument against overgrading, it was Wolfgang who he held up in the highest of regard. And in fact, Ben did travel to the Frankenjura to try Wolfgang's route, and he came close, but was stopped by a finger injury. He's quoted in Tillman Hepp's book, Wolfgang Gulich, A Life in the Vertical, as saying, It is, in all certainty, the hardest route in the world. I can imagine that it could be a 9A. I would grade it at least 8C plus slash 9A. Actually, I'm not in a position to give an honest grade to this astonishing feat. At the same time, Wolfgang was making plans to travel to Raventor in the fall to try Hubble. Maybe I have a chance on it, he modestly told Hep. But soon after, Wolfgang died in a solo car accident. So we'll never know if he would have managed Hubble, or what he might have thought of the comparisons being made between the two routes today. And in fact, this isn't really about Ben Moon and Wolfgang Gulich at all. It's about us, about how we like to know who did what first, who owns the record, who conquered a thing. And I'm not sure that's what this should be about. But then again, I haven't climbed these routes, so I'm not at all really qualified to make judgments on them. But there are two people who are qualified above all others to make these comparisons. Interestingly enough, one is British One is German. One is sponsored by Ben Moon. One is arguably the torchbearer for Wolfgang's legacy in the Frankenjura as well as worldwide. And yes, of course, this creates some bias. And while they have some slightly disagreeing opinions, they actually agree on a lot of the main points. And... Honestly, after researching these two routes extensively, as well as the context that led up to them and what their legacies are, I'm going to give you my opinions as well. You can do with that what you will. We'll be right back with Buster Martin and Alex Magos. All right, let's face it. Those climbers in the 90s, 30 years ago, had stronger fingers than most of us. And that's because they spent a lot of time hanging on small wooden edges. And you can too. Tension Climbing has a full line of hangboards and finger strength tools designed with purpose to help you train for your goals. My personal favorites are the Honestone and the Whetstone for hanging and the Block for lifting and warming up my fingers at the crag. The Honestone and the Whetstone cover everything you need in your home setup for people of different levels, one-arm or two-arm training, big edges, small edges, pockets, and slopers. And no matter what you're climbing on at the crag, the block will get you ready. If you go to tensionclimbing.com and use the code STONE at checkout, you'll get 10% off, and you'll also let them know how much you appreciate them supporting this podcast, climbing history, and this community. That's STONE, S-T-O-N-E, all lowercase or all caps if you feel like shouting it out. Doesn't really matter how you do it, just do it.
Okay, so this is a complicated conversation. But let's start with the brief history of how both of these roots, if not given 9a by the first ascensionists, ended up as contenders for the first in the world. Tillman Hepp reports in his biography of Wolfgang that Wolfie was sure Action Direct was a new level, and Tillman urged him to say so. Thing is, 11 was a new level for him, so he was being as accurate as he could have been. In the book, however, Hep does disparage the folks who, without having climbed the route, printed the lower grade. And maybe because we now have this idea that a slash grade is somehow disrespectful, we just quickly latched on to the 9A. Why can't we give a root of that caliber a slash grade? Oh, no, I don't like the slash grades. I don't know about that. <laughs> then, then you're just creating a whole nother grading system because then is it, is it a soft <laughs> is it a soft 8C plus slash 9A or is it a hard 8C plus slash 9A? And then do you add like another slash on it to get like yeah, 8C yeah. plus slash 9A slash 9A? It's confusing. <laughs> That's Buster Martin. And throughout this interview, you'll hear Buster do something really fascinating. He makes his point, and then he makes a counterpoint to his point. I love it. He's the perfect podcast guest. And now, I've heard lots of rumors about where the 9A was first unequivocally given. But I haven't been able to confirm a single one of them. I suspect that the official upgrade was due to a couple of other factors. Certainly Wolfgang's death played a part in it, but also the fact that it took four years for a repeat, having turned away many of the best climbers in the world, including Ben Moon, Jibay Trabu, and Alexander Huber. In comparison, Hubble had been repeated fairly quickly, twice within four years. And though there had likely long been talk of Hubble being harder than 8C+, I think we can point the finger at one person who brought it to the forefront. You know what it was? I think the discussion first came about when Andres tried Hubble on multiple occasions, and I think he said somewhere that he thought it was 9A, and then since then it's just sort of settled at 9A, and now since then pretty much everyone has agreed on 9A which I think is kind of funny because I always was brought up being told that you don't really comment on the grade until you've done it because maybe Andre was missing. <laughs> maybe in this instance, Andre was missing a trick or something like that. And yeah, or conditions or who knows. Conditions, yeah, yeah. Now let's keep in mind that when Andre tried Hubble, he was the Adam Andre of the 2010s, having only done a few 9Bs and he only tried in bad conditions and rapid-fired five times to the last hold of the crux. So his perspective is likely a little skewed by that. But it's still the perspective of the person with the most experience at that grade of anyone. Yeah, it's funny. It's hard to know when somebody has, like, if someone has a huge amount of experience at a grade, whether it's helpful for them to grade it accurately or whether it just makes you totally lose perspective. So both routes have settled at 9A. They've reached consensus, so to speak. On paper, Action Direct has a very clear consensus at 9A. But what about Hubble? Having started out at 8C+, and over the years seeing fewer repeats, it's at an extreme disadvantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 
the thing with the consensus of Hubble being 9A is because there is lesser sense, it's like a smaller sample size. Imagine you're looking at a paper and you see this amount of significant difference uh, in these two groups, but it was a sample size of 10 compared to the sample size of 30 who all agree and who all saw improvement. It's kind of a different story. So there does appear to be a consensus on Hubble, but less people have done it. So it's a much less solid consensus than Action Direct, where everyone who's done it has agreed on 9A, which kind of adds to the adds to the debate or the uncertainty. And we also have to take into account what you mentioned earlier, which is early on, there was just the you take the grade. Yeah. You yeah. don't argue about what the grade is. Yeah, yeah. And there's always been a reluctance to to upgrade things. Yeah, you know, yeah. we want to we want to keep things really hard. So those first several ascents of Hubble were probably reluctant to say, oh, I think it might actually be 9A. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, while consensus might be the best we have for now, I just don't believe we're ever actually reaching an unbiased conclusion. But for what it's worth, both routes now seem to be recognized as 9A. So I guess the logical thing is to try to compare them against each other. Which is harder? Well, that's always a tricky and difficult question. But yeah, you're very right. They are super hard to compare. That's Alex Megos, but I suspect you already knew that. I would put Action Direct more into like the power endurance corner with having... 16 moves, roughly 16 moves. And apart from maybe the jump move, they're all relatively similar difficulty. Whereas Hubble has like four hard moves and that's it. So right off the ground, I think if you do uh, the first seven moves off the ground on Hubble, you have climbed the route, which is not the case with Action Erect. So it's, it's very, very hard to compare them. And... I do also feel that although every hard climb obviously is condition dependent, even though I don't want to admit that often. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I heard it. I heard it right here. Yeah. Conditions matter. Yeah, unfortunately they do. It, it, it kind of sucks, but uh, the older you get, you realize that they kind of do matter at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and for sure. I do have a feeling that on Hubble conditions matter much, much more just because there's mm. like, this one particular hold, like quite a slopey, uh, small crimp. And on that particular hold, it makes a huge difference whether you've got good conditions or bad conditions. That's why I'm always like struggling uh, to give Hubble like a good grade. And I always said back then, I'm going to repeat that now, like in, in good conditions, it's for sure not harder than 80 plus. And in bad conditions, it's, it can definitely be harder than 9A. So I think Hubble is really distilled difficulty and it's a very technical piece of climbing within these within these six or seven moves. And then Action Direct has got much easier moves on it, but it's more of like a pure power endurance test piece. So it is hard to, to compare the two of them. And to to be completely honest, I would have I wouldn't be able to tell you which route I think is which route I think is harder. I really don't know. You said you can't say which route is harder, but can you say which route was harder for you? Yeah. Um, a Hubble was much more of a challenge for me, but I think that it was just down to 
the nature of the climbing. I think that Hubble is sure. very, um, very knacky and it's a very technical piece of climbing. And it maybe didn't suit me as much, whereas Action Direct suits me perfectly. Like 15 move power endurance on a steep wall mm-hmm. on pockets. It's kind of like my ideal climbing style. And then, like you mentioned earlier, there was time between me climbing Hubble and Action Direct almost two years. Right. So in that time, obviously my climbing had progressed. You just used the word knacky. Is that right? Did you say knacky? Knacky, yeah. I, I don't know this term. I assume it's like fiddly and... Like fiddly. Hard to get just right. Exactly. You sort of have to work out the knack of doing the move. So it's like when something's fiddly or beta intensive or just like a little bit weird, low percentage. I like it. I'm, I'm going to start using that term now. Knacky. <laughs> Yeah, so Hubble is it, it is technical, and I was able to go on a trip to Germany and climb action because it's like more of a basic style. However, I think that my ascent of Hubble was due to having spent a lot of time climbing in the Peak District on that limestone, and I think it was the same for the same for Ben. I think Magos is the only person who's come on a trip and done it, and I think. I mean, it kind of speaks for himself. He's like one of the best sport climbers in the world. So he was able to just turn up and do it. But I think for everyone else, they'd spent a lot of time climbing on that rock already. So, okay, comparing the two is nearly impossible. Buster isn't sure which is harder, and Mego says that he's sure Hubble's only 8C plus in the best conditions, but could be much harder in bad conditions. And we have to keep in mind that it's in an area notorious for bad conditions. So do we grade it with the the one day a year perfect conditions in mind or with the usual okay conditions? I've always been of the opinion that you grade on the easiest possible way to do a route in perfect conditions. But I'm not entirely sure that's fair. One of the ways we try to discern difficulty when comparing routes is to compare how many tries each took. But this is an incredibly flawed system. Both um, Alex and myself, I think we both did action quicker, but I don't really think that tells you anything about the difficulty. I think that maybe it's just a contrast in styles. I think Hubble's much more of a tricky climb. It's much more about body positioning and really getting things right. Whereas I think um, action has quite basic moves on it, but basic doesn't mean that it's easier. It's just they're a bit simpler to work out. It's like, have you got the strength or not? So it doesn't really tell us much to, to consider any of that information really. I have to ask you this as, as the other person who's done these two routes, when you watch the video of Alex Magos doing Hubble, were you as astounded as I was at the way he locks down every move? Yeah, he looks really strong in it, doesn't he? It's, <laughs> it's really cool. And I think the sequence he's using, it seems Wild. like, yeah, yeah. Very, very impressive. I think I heard that Malcolm Smith was able to, we spoke about this last time we were chatting, he was able to chalk up on the crux moves I also heard that he had to be carried to the crag because he hadn't been fueling himself too well. <laughs> and wow. if you saw the walk, if you saw the walk-in, I mean, it's like a, thir- a thirty-second walk-in. But rumor has it, like his dad and his brother had to carry him to the base of the cliff. Yeah, may- maybe a tactic best um, left behind. Left in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
So ultimately, it seems like both routes are right there in the same ballpark. Which brings me to another question. Does how the first ascensionist did it matter? What if they used a harder sequence than was later found? Does that count for something? Does the route remain at that level? I mean, people say uh, if you would probably repeat the original beta that uh, Wolfgang did on Action Direct, you would probably have climbed 9A plus nowadays. And you'll remember when I talked with Ben Cossey, we discussed Wolfgang's original sequence and how much harder it really is. If anyone has a Wolfgang book, you'll know in the Action Direct chapter, there's a photo of him right hand in that mono like Alex, but his left arm is under his right arm. It's not over. So he hasn't the rose seemingly, and this is my theory, is that he's gone up there maybe and crossed over or, or done some sort of crossover to the mono, which, oh boy, it's like not easy. And now Hubble's sequence has also gotten slightly easier. The knee bar and knee pad that Buster and I discussed in the first conversation with him. Now Ben didn't use the knee bar, and neither did Alex Magos in his quick and casual send, but most folks feel it's 9A, even if you have the knee pad on. But Hubble was Ben's best style, and Wolfgang had been training specifically for Action Direct. I think we all understand that it's easy to undergrade something when it suits us perfectly. When I spoke with Steve McClure, he brought up a great point while discussing his route, Mutation, a possible contender for the first 9B, all the way back in 1998. I think with that route, with, with my route, Mutation, it, it very much suited me. Um, very, very much. I mean, the, there was even talk that it, it might be even a grade harder than what will upgraded it to but if, if that was the case then it wasn't for me because it suited me and it certainly suited my style and it suited my strengths at the time and uh, to be honest if it is 15a it probably wasn't 15a for me if that makes sense so yeah that's where the grades all start to become a little bit messy um, once you hit that that sort of cutting edge so we have to wonder, if Hubble was Ben's style, did it feel 9A to him? We know those boundaries hadn't yet been explored, so in retrospect, maybe. But in a mid-90s article from On the Edge magazine, Ben argued vehemently that Hubble could not be 9A, and Action Direct may not be either. He writes... During an interview with Heinz Zack a few months back, the topic of hard routes arose, and of which were the hardest. There are a whole batch of routes up there vying for the hardest route in the world title, and obviously it's very hard to say which it is, particularly when not a month passes and we hear of a new super route with a big grade. However, I felt and still feel that Action Direct is the most worthy contender and thus expressed my opinion. He goes on to explain that this is due to Wolfgang's track record. And after he warns the rest of the top climbers that what he's about to say is going to hurt their feelings, he writes, I have to repeat my belief that both Action Direct and Hubble are 8C+. 
The only person who suggested otherwise was the climber and journalist Tillman Hepp in his biography of Wolfgang Gulich. His opinion must surely be questionable. And then, after skewering pretty much every other climber who has suggested AC Plus or 9A for their roots, bringing up roots like Ohm, Bain de Sang, Hugh, Super Plafond, and Just Do It, he finishes with, I know that for a lot of people this is going to be hard to take, but unless you move Action Direct and Hubble up to 9A, which they just are not, there's no room for all these roots to go in at the same grade. This article is wild. I'll likely be telling you more about it later this season, but essentially, it's Ben speaking his mind. Honestly, it's fairly respectful, but he's not afraid to voice his doubts. And then everyone gets a chance to respond. It's fantastic. But the biggest problem with almost any conversation like this is that if you have four people talking, you're going to get four different views of grade. Because like we all know, but then try to ignore a lot of the time, grades are very subjective. And once we recognize that subjectivity, how do we decide on a first of anything? And, you know, then there's also this weird question of like, if grades are subjective and, you know, a 9A for somebody might be AC plus for someone else, it might be 9A plus for someone else. Yeah. Do we all get our own personal first 9A in the world? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting question. It's funny how this thing with grading has changed because I remember it used to sort of be like you get what you're given and you you take the grade that's given in the guidebook. But now with social media and um, uh, sort of like online logbooks, people are speaking out about what they think. And you just be, you, 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 you can kind of just decide like, oh, I this felt like this for me, this is what it is. But then how do you know that maybe you were, were having a bad day or this was just a route that didn't suit you? We can't, if we find something hard, we can't always just upgrade it. And that's kind of how I always saw Hubble. So up until I did it, I always saw it as like an AC plus. I didn't really know, to be honest, because I hadn't clipped the chains. I hadn't climbed from bottom to top. But even before there was any talk of it being upgraded, it still represented this sort of like gradeless difficulty in my head. Like maybe it was 8C plus, but it was just like one of those savage routes that is a, where the grade sort of doesn't mean anything. You need to be this next level climber to, to get up it. So it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to know. However, maybe the same thing happened with action. So maybe it got called 9A in the magazine or in the autobiography. And then after that, everyone took 9A. And because it was considered the first 9A, no, maybe no one's ever, I'm not saying for one second that I think it's 8C+, but this could also be a factor where no one would ever say that they think it's another grade because it's so firmly in people's head as the first 9A. Although I think it is 9A, absolutely. And here's another thing. Ben wasn't just arguing that Hubble was definitely AC+. He was also saying that Hubble and Action Direct are the same grade. He admits that Action Direct might be harder, but they're still the same grade. And maybe Ben was right all along, because the grading scale has certainly shifted. Not many people will argue that for whatever reason, older roots have stiffer grades. 
Notice how Alex says nowadays here. I mean, people say uh, if you would probably repeat the original beta that uh, Wolfgang did on Action Direct, you would probably have climbed 9A plus nowadays. What do we make of that? Do we go back and retroactively change the record books based on what a climb would have felt like if gyms were everywhere and training knowledge had been as robust as it is now? Not to mention, we're now grading things at a time when there are thousands of 8Cs, 8C pluses, 9As, and harder to gain experience on. There were less than 10 routes in the world at that level back then. Not to mention, if we're doing this sort of revisionist history, we have to go back and question if Hubble, with the knee pad and knee bar, under the old grading system, would have still gotten 9A. It gets really really messy. Do we really go back and change those record books? I decided to look in two places to see how this sort of thing has been handled elsewhere. When the world moves forward, how do sports and music handle their beloved records? And I settled on two examples. And let's be perfectly honest here, I cherry-picked these two examples to fit my narrative. You're welcome to go find others and form your own opinion and feel free to argue. I'm all for it. Number one, in 1979, the NBA adopted the three-point shot. This was halfway through Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's career. And he's not considered a good three-point shooter well, because there was no reason for him to be. In all of his developmental years, there was no three-point shot. Further shots didn't count for more, so why try them? And when LeBron James, who played his entire career with a three-point shot option, passed Kareem to take the top spot on the all-time scoring list, the NBA didn't go back and adjust for how it might have been if Kareem had played in a similar era. LeBron is just in first place, period. Number two. Drake recently tied Michael Jackson as the male solo artist with the most number one singles in Billboard history. But the fact is, they're playing different games on the same scoreboard. Drake is playing at a time when streams are counted rather than just physical album sales and radio play. People can listen essentially for free at any time to any song they want instead of having to go to the store and spend their money in order to listen. And I don't think anyone would argue that Drake's music will have the same lasting impact that Michael or the Beatles have had, but the record books still put him in their company. So many institutions and organizations with much higher stakes don't retroactively change the record books when the rules or the way those records are scored go through a change, even a dramatic change. So. Should we be looking back into the past to change the records of a first of a grade that were set in stone many years ago? And here's another wrench in the works for you to ponder. If we take into account that neither climber gave their route 9A, should the credit actually go to the route originally given 9A by its first ascensionist? one that's held the grade anyway. Because if so, Wolfgang and Ben Moon 
aren't even in the conversation anymore. That would mean it comes down to Ohm by Alex Huber and then Bain de Sang by Fred Nicole. I can feel a lot of you shaking your heads now. You don't like that idea. Well, honestly, neither do I, for a few reasons. And actually, I think we're still looking at it the wrong way. I think our need for black and white and clarity and simple answers has steered us away from the answers that matter the most. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? I just wanted to drop in here to say thank you. Projects like this take way too many hours to make, and it just doesn't happen without your support. So whether it's training plans, courses, or products, it's your support of Power Company Climbing, as well as our sponsors here on this show, that has given me the time and motivation to conceptualize and create things like this podcast. So as a thank you, we're offering 20% off of almost everything on our site. Finger files, clippers, apparel, proven plans, ebooks, courses, and more. For details, go to powercompanyclimbing.com slash stone. And then use the code stone, that's S-T-O-N-E, at checkout. Powercompanyclimbing.com. Learn. Grow. Excel. On May 6, 1954, a 25-year-old medical student named Roger Bannister, being paced by two friends at a track in Oxford, becomes the first human to run a mile in less than four minutes, doing so in three minutes, 59.4 seconds. The record had stood at four minutes, one second for nearly a decade, and popular opinion was that this new record might stand longer. But six weeks later, at a track meet in Finland, Australian middle distance runner John Landy goes even faster. Three minutes, 57.9 seconds. Not quite two months later, the two meet at the Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada for a race. And for the first time in history, two men run under four minutes in one race. Bannister wins. And if we only look at the records, it takes three years for someone to advance the record by 0.4 seconds. But that would be missing the point. What matters is that in those three years, 17 more people ran faster than four minutes. In fact, just over one year after the barrier had been initially crossed, three additional runners did it in one race. So why? If four minutes and one second was the record for nine years, are there suddenly 20 people who can beat it? Well, we call that a send train. We've seen time and time again that when some imaginary door is opened, it's much easier for people to walk through. So when Wolfgang climbed Wall Street, it became that much easier for Fred Nicole and Ben Moon to climb the grade. And when Ben climbed 8C+, it opened the door for Wolfgang to do his next level climb. 
And what allowed Alex Huber and Fred Nicole to say 9A for their roots was the hype around Action Direct. The admiration for Wolfgang, the knowledge that a new level had been opened up for all climbers to someday explore. It's because someone said, here is where the imaginary boundary lies. So the big remaining question, I suppose, is, does it even matter which was the first 9A? I don't think it matters which route's harder, but I, I do think it matters which route was the first 9A, otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. And people really care. People, people really care. And I think for the sake of the history books, it kind of makes sense. However, I think that Hubble is 9A, um, and I really couldn't see any argument for action being a different grade to Hubble. I think they're probably quite similar in difficulty, but I don't want that to take away from what action represents, which is this step up in difficulty. And it's this, what Wolfgang did with all of his training and this beautiful piece of rock and, um, such a, a strong athletic performance. And I think that sort of captured people's hearts and minds. And I don't like the idea that if Hubble is 9A, that it takes anything away from that. And I think that it shouldn't. I feel like the thing is, even if Hubble gets upgraded to 9A, everybody will recognize Action as the world's first 9A because that's how it has been back then. And the history will not change. So, yeah, I mean... It's nice that uh, you can take 9A if you climb Hubble, but I feel like you shouldn't focus on that. You should focus on climbing Hubble because of the history, no matter what the grade is. Same with Action Direct. But we're humans and we're so focused on numbers that we always want to have a letter and a number behind everything. That's like human nature because we want to make everything measurable. But I feel like with those classic roots like there should not even be a, a grade that's put behind the name you know like the name should stand for itself same with roots like biography or uh, to bolt or not to be and those kind of things they don't need a grade they only need a name yeah and it, you know it occurs to me that you're someone who has been designated a first you know you you were the first to on-site 9a and it's it's an interesting like opportunity to ask you how much does it matter what the record books say versus what you actually did hmm. does that make sense yeah that makes sense that's a good that's a good question um well of course if you want to make a living off of climbing it also matters what the record book says but yeah like for uh, like personal satisfaction, like I'm way more proud of some things that I have done that will never even show up in the record books mm -hmm. than things that might have been milestones in the climbing history just because for me personally, they have a bigger value or I have invested more time in them. But that's something that's that's very personal. And I feel like that yeah. might be uh, for for every climber, like... I'm sure, for example, every climber who's done action direct, like that ascent will matter more than an ascent of like some random 9A anywhere. You know, it's yeah. even though on paper it doesn't really make any difference grade wise, but it's like 
the personal feelings uh, connected to uh, to your own achievement. So yeah, and I think we look at both of those routes, you know, Action Direct and Hubble, and any ascent of either route still makes news for sure. For and sure. I mean, there aren't many routes of that grade that do that. Exactly. Stefano just came recently to the Frank Nero to uh, yeah. repeat Action Direct, and I mean, I have been. Uh, climbing with him on it when he tried it first i think in i don't even know it was a while ago it was like for sure three four five six years ago i can't even remember but you know if it would have been any 9a i'm sure he would have not bothered to come back for it but with this one yeah he came back because it mattered yeah and it's worth mentioning that he like left from trying his 15d project to come and do a 14D. Yeah. Um, and the 14D makes news and he makes multiple posts about it because it's this historical icon. You know? For sure. So, I'm not even sure did he put a grade on his post? Probably not. I mean, most people don't. You're just like the name stands, stands for itself. I went and looked it up after Alex said this. And he's right. Stefano did not put a grade on any of his posts about Action Direct. The only place a grade appears is in a collaboration post with a sponsor that was clearly written by the sponsor. And I quite like Alex's suggestion of no grades. I don't use grades in my gym, and I love it. But let's be honest, that's not going to fly. But it did get me thinking that maybe the debate is actually a good thing. Hear me out here. The fact that shuffling the grade of Hubble then changes the first 8C plus as well as the first 9A, and that Ondra would later regrade an Alex Huber route as the first 15A, usurping biography or realization, and that Huber would say he originally graded it based on Action Direct being 8C plus, well, all of these debates do a fantastic job of highlighting the subjectivity of grades. Once you've engaged in the conversation, you just can't ignore it. Yeah, it, it, it makes it a good conversation, but it also puts things in perspective because nobody really knows and it is all subjective. It kind of makes it a little bit more fun and you don't really know, so it doesn't really matter. And I think keeping that in mind makes you do things for the right reason and climb these routes because of what they mean to climbing history and because of what they mean to you personally, rather than a number assigned by somebody else or by a group of other people. Although with these two routes, it does bear some sort of significance due to their, due to their place in history. But for me, and I think for most of the other people climbing these routes, they don't care about the grade it's like they want to climb this icon they want to climb the name they want to climb it for the history and whether or not they get to put another 9a on their scorecard i don't think matters for sure i mean adam postelnik actually he put it quite well i think in the 25th anniversary of action direct like they tried to invite all the repeaters of action direct and adam postelnik was there too and then it came out that it was like the only 9A he climbed, you know? And he said, well, it's because I didn't want to climb 9A. I wanted to climb Action Direct. And it didn't matter if it would have been, you know, 8B, 8C or 9B. He wanted to climb it because of the name, because of the history. So he said, like, in his eyes, he didn't climb 9A. He climbed Action Direct. And that's what mattered. 
it is the history, the characters, and the, the way these routes have inspired so many people that matters. Exactly. That's why I'm making this podcast to begin with, because it's the stories and characters that matter. I mean, sure, we're trying to get the facts right about who did what or who put the bolts in or whose idea a thing was, etc., etc. But mostly, it's the spirit of the thing we want to convey, whether that's adventure or personal challenge or making a statement or fighting a stereotype or whatever it is. That's the most important part for me, the spirit. But maybe the most fun part of all of this is that you're right. Whatever your opinion, it's easy to make a case for it. Was Hubble the first 9A? Yes. Was Action Direct the first 9A? Yes. Maybe we all do get our own personal first 9A in the world after all. Some of you are shaking your heads again. But with that in mind, the larger cultural conversation, here's where I stand on the question of Action Direct versus Hubble. Sort of. See, the pressure to break barriers is real. And if a person accidentally breaks that barrier, good on them. But the person who's under the pressure to break a barrier, even if that pressure is self-imposed and still delivers, that person deserves immense credit. Ben and Wolfgang both were in that position just on different grading scales, scales that delivered an injustice in translation and comparisons. We have to do it, but that doesn't make it any more just. So my opinion? I don't care which is harder. That's going to vary person to person, day to day, based on preferred style, temperature, humidity, skin conditions, etc., I don't really care that one was before the other. I think the two, Action Direct and Hubble, are now inseparable, forever intertwined as a symbol of the massive leap in the standards of climbing difficulty taking place at the dawn of the 1990s, at the hands of some of the sport's all-time greatest climbers. One, two. Written in Stone is produced by me, Chris Hampton, with help from Riley Rush and Emily Holland for Plug Tone Audio, a group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. At the link in your show notes, you'll find all the things you expect, and probably some you don't, including links to all of my references for this episode. Special thanks to Alex Magos and Buster Martin for being willing to discuss grades when I know it's the most over-discussed topic in climbing, well, maybe other than hangboarding. And thanks to our other special guests, Adam Ondra, Steve McClure, Ben Cossey, and to Andrew McFarlane for letting me use that clip of Ben Moon from his film. And look, this show is 100% rooted in the facts, but like Todd Skinner always said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. If you love what you're hearing, give us those five stars and a glowing review and tell everyone you know at the crack, at the gym. Follow the pod on your friends' phones and share it all over your social medias. And together, 
we can tell the stories of climbing's most important ascents, one decade at a time. Stoners, what is up? Um, first off, sorry if I am shouting at you. I It sounds like I'm speaking inside of a fishbowl because I'm talking to you right now with a ruptured left eardrum as a result of an ear infection, which was a result of COVID. Long story, I'll save you the, the nasty, gory details, but uh, left eardrum is ruptured and there's really no prognosis at this point. Um, we're going to have to wait and see when the ear totally clears out and they can see the eardrum again, um, how bad it is. And then we'll know more. Right now, it's a constant ringing and it sounds like I'm in a fishbowl and I can hear my heartbeat really prominently in that ear. Um, so it sounds like the scene in a horror movie where the woman is walking through the house and she knows someone is in there and he's hiding just around the corner, but she doesn't know. Um, it's a mess. Anyway, I'm here regardless. We're going to keep this thing rolling because the show must go on. How did you like this kind of episode? Um, I really love it, but. I, I would love to know what you guys think. Um, if you're on Spotify, you can leave a message there. Um, you can shoot me a message in any way, actually. Um, you can find me all over the place. Please do that. I would love your feedback, and um, I would love to know how you feel about it. There's another one coming soon that's a little different. It's just me narrating. It doesn't include any other voices, so... Um, I'd be curious about that as well because there are so many interesting things about the 90s I would like to do short little episodes on um, that would just be me narrating. Like I don't have the time or energy or we don't make enough money here to do full-blown episodes on everything. But I could do short little, little bonus episodes. And um, speaking of which... Sometime around Christmas, which is coming up soon, I'm going to be starting a Patreon for this channel. And at first, the Patreon is going to be totally free. Everything will be available for everybody. But the benefit is that there's now a chat feature inside of the Patreon app. Um, and I want to hear from you all in there. Some of you have left messages on the Spotify um, and if you do that, I'll, I'll publish your, your nice messages there on Spotify so that the, the next listeners can see them. And uh, some of you have sent me messages, and I really hugely appreciate that. Podcasting is sort of this lonely thing where you never get to really interact with the people who are listening. So I really appreciate it when you do send those messages. And, and maybe that Patreon app will be a great place to have conversations and to be able to publish some bonus episodes for the real fans of the show who want to hear more about the history. So that should be coming around Christmas. And I think that's where we're going to do the giveaway. 
that I will be uh, trying to collect a couple of history books for. We're also going to have a block from tension climbing and a skincare bundle uh, from us as well. So, uh, so there's going to be some great things in there, but it's going to all be run through that Patreon, I believe. Okay, next week we are back to our regularly scheduled program, like I said, with the largest forearms in climbing. And it's actually quite fun for me because, um, you know, this guy is uh, an idol of mine. I think he, he not only has pushed climbing forward, but he's just exhibited being a great human all the time, something I certainly cannot claim. Um, but I do really admire the way he's conducted himself. And I reached out to him to get some details for this podcast. And after a few back and forths and him giving me some details, I had to say, hey, if, if you ever want to come on and chat, I would love to do that and, and talk about how the 90s were. And he just ignored that altogether and kept giving me details. So um, no interest in interviewing, which is cool, and I respect that. Um, but yeah, next week. All right, I'll see you guys then.